The scripture reading on which today's teaching is based comes from Hebrews chapter 4, and I'll be reading from verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore God again set a certain day, calling it today. When a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. And this is God's word. Sheer joy to be here. And uh, man, it's uh, quite a momentous day here. Exciting about uh, launching a new service and uh, really, really great. We're going to talk about resting in Jesus. This is not giving you a permission to nap while I'm preaching. Uh, it, but if you need to, then go ahead. Um, but we're going to ask ourselves this question, what does it mean that the obedience to Jesus begins by resting in Jesus? But first, let me pray one more time. Lord, we need your help. We need to help. We need your help to hear from heaven. Uh, we need to hear your voice, not mine. We need you to make the word of God uh, alive in our souls. We need direction for another week. Uh, some here need a converting work through the Word of God that they would believe the gospel. Oh, Lord, we need you. And so we again call out to you and ask for help, praying that you would be in this room ministering to each sister and brother, each friend. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would be at work. For your glory and our joy, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I've been seriously following Jesus for about 45 years. And I started when I was one. No, actually, I was about 14 years old when I seriously started following Jesus. And two things, two things are true. Joy increases, and so doesn't weariness. Um, as I look around and see young mothers, uh, and uh, Joshua, are those twins? Are those like twin? We have twins. Uh, twins are awesome. Like, that's a double blessing. You know, two for the price of one, almost. Anyway. Like, I look at young mothers, and I, I think of two things. I go, first of all, how did my wife have five kids and take care of them? We, they were born in 91, I'm sorry, 89, 91 of the twins, 93, and 95, four boys and a girl. And I just think of you young mothers, young parents, I go, you do need a nap. I think of some of you, you professionals working hard or students working hard, staying up late. Some of you, I was talking to one of you guys, went out and watched the meteoric shower until like 3 a.m. this morning, and here you are, I'm going... 
You need a nap. Not right now, though. Okay, not right now. Uh, and, and, but at the end of the day, life is hard and rigorous. We have a group in our church we minister to. They're adults with special needs, uh, mental illness primarily. And, and they're exhausted by boredom. Like the state takes care of them, puts them in group homes, or, or they have subsidized housing, and they have some, um, they're cared for medically, but their lives are extremely boring, and they're exhausted by it. And I talk to my peers, people hitting 60, and the common conversation is how tired we are. Recently, our elders at uh, River of Grace, so I, I planted the church there, and and, uh, or by God's grace, me and a bunch of people in 2002. And just last year, last July, we handed it off to a new lead pastor as came, I came on full-time with Acts 29. And, uh, and, you know, the young guys, there were five elders, four of them are in their 30s. Only two were alive when I started pastoring, and they were one years old. It's kind of a bizarre feeling. Anyway, they, they, we, we kind of reworked our, our vision statement. Our, our vision statement for 20 years has been, we want to become better Christians as we make more Christians. That's a pretty good vision statement. But it's time to kind of rethink what does the next 20 years look like. And so our vision statement as we worked through it, and it really felt like God's pleasure upon us as we sat at a lake house in, in New Hampshire on one of our beautiful lakes. Um, we worked through a new vision statement, and it says this, our mission is to make disciples who rest, walk, and share in the love of Jesus. That's kind of a bizarre word to start with. Like, our first goal is to help disciples rest in the love of Jesus. That is not just odd to start with, but it's kind of an odd thought. Like, we are an aggressive society. We are a, 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 a society of accomplishment. Like, why would we start with rest? Well, the Bible is one story from beginning to end, and if you just pick up one book, it can be a little confusing. But it... it it ties together all around Jesus. And one of the books that helps to, to us to understand this is this book of Hebrews. We don't have time to go all through it, but like they talk about how the Old Testament priests would stand before God for the people. But there's a better priest. He is Jesus. And now he intercedes for his people. It talks about how the sacrifices were brought and offered daily to cover sins. But there's a better and eternal sacrifice offered, and that is Jesus. It also talks about the rest that God promised to his Old Testament people. And it weaves together not just to command to rest uh, on the seventh day from the Ten Commandments, but also the rest promised to the children of Israel. If you're not familiar with the Bible, there's this whole story of the Exodus. God delivers his people from slavery, and he promises to take them to the land of, of, of promise where they could rest. But then but we understand that ultimate rest is found in Jesus. And so this morning, we want to think about this thought. Obedience to Jesus, following Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, begins by resting in Jesus. And so as we look at Hebrews 4, 1 through 11, we want to look at God's rest, gospel rest, and glorious rest. It starts, as we read this text, it talks about his rest. It appears several times. It says, God's rest. In fact, he quotes some texts where it talks. He says, my rest. I mean, God has rest? Well, that raises um, a great, great question. What is rest? Like, does the eternal God of the universe 
who before breakfast one day spoke in their, you know, trillions of galaxies with billions of stars, does that God get tired or does rest refer to something else? Well, my layman's uh, attempt to define rest as God's rest would be this, experienced joy and peace because everything is completed and done well. Experienced joy and peace because everything is completed and done well. So if you look at the creation story and God created in six days, whether that's literal or, or that's just uh, um, uh, metaphorical, I'm not, at, at, the, at the end of the day, he did it all, and then he rests. That's because he had great joy and peace in something completed and done well. In our day and in, 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 in society, there, there are two categories of rest, God's rest and rest that man seeks that isn't God's rest. And those, those attempts to find that peace and joy that would, we would, I would define as rest are often sought in things like activities, staying so busy that we don't have time to ponder true things, or accumulation like, I think I'll be peaceful and happy if I can only get a new truck or have a new, you know, get a bigger apartment, or, or something else we accumulate, or achievement. If I perform at levels to generate applause, whether from family or peers, somehow that will give me rest. Or addictions, I numb myself to the reality of, of how hard life is and I try to escape to some level of peace or joy. Or affection, if I can only have the right person in my life, I will then have peace and joy. That is, that is every attempt to find rest apart from God. It's kind of like if I were to build a house. My wife and I have an old farmhouse in this little city of Concord. It was built in 1857, and it has all sorts of projects. And I'm not really handy. But if I were to build a house, I would be embarrassed to invite you into it, and you wouldn't want to live there. That's in a man's attempt to build a house. But if a craftsman builds a house, someone who lays those tiles perfectly, who does the finished carpentry perfectly, whose architecture is perfect, then you walk into it and you are inspired. That's sort of like the difference between man's attempt at rest and how unsatisfying it is and the master's invitation to his rest. So how does a God accomplish his work so that rest is possible. It's interesting. If you read the Old Testament and read the creation story, God spoke and it happened. He said, let there be light, and there was light. At the beginning of Hebrews, it says that in, in the former times, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by prophets at different times and in different ways, but in these last days, he spoke to us by his Son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. So we think about God's work and then God's rest. We, think, we have to think about Christ. So what did God do that he rested from? The theologians sort of, and I sort of read around a bit and kind of like consolidated into, like God's great works are, are you can categorize them in four ways. His creation, his revelation, his redemption, and his restoration. Made all things, Revealed everything necessary. 
sent Christ to redeem us from our fall and our sinful condition and is going to restore all things. And it's kind of like you order four things in a package, or four packages from Amazon Prime and three have arrived. Creation has arrived, revelation has arrived, redemption has arrived. All we're waiting for is that last package, restoration when all things are, are made new. But God, it says, has finished his work. That he's spoken and these things are done. And it's kind of like he's written the play or written the story and it's unfolding as he plans. And, and for us to rest in his rest is to realize that this good work of God is complete and brings peace and joy. What does this mean for us? How do we enter his rest? Well, first of all, it's acknowledging what he has done. I think of those four categories. We rest in his creation. You know what it's like to go out and, and take a vacation and go to a, a quiet lake or the ocean side or the mountains or, or maybe to Europe and, and wander through some of the old historic European places or just to get away and, and experience something different. But in creation, I've often heard this from especially um, people who aren't following Christ, like, I don't need church, I don't need, I feel close to God in creation or in, in like when I'm on a hike. Well, of course you should. You should, I mean, that, like, that's one of his great works. We rest in his creation. That's why vacations are good. We don't run from God, we run to God in his creation. His revelation, like one of the things that has transformed my life for all these years walking with Jesus is like daily trying to spend some time in that book, realizing that God wants to speak to David just as one of his children. And that brings rest. And then redemption. That, that we, we remind ourselves over and over again that my sins are forever forgiven and that I am okay with God because of what Christ has done. And that the sufficiency of Christ's work of taking my guilt and giving me his righteousness is forever secure. And I can rest in that. You see, as you and I rest in what God has done, we can rest with God because that is his rest. It is complete. We're still waiting for the restoration of all things. But creation, revelation, redemption is complete. So what does this look like then? On a, what, how, how do I then make this tangible in our lives? Well, I think it boils down to it, the simple practice of schedule. For if I was to take this principle of his rest, God's rest, and say, how do I experience what, what God has, is enjoying, his peace and his joy and his completed work that's done well and finished? It's your schedule. I think daily I need the word of God that completed revelation that speaks to you as a, a daughter of God, you as a son of God individually, whether you're looking at a verse or a chapter or a whole book, that you rest in his promises to you, rest in his instructions to you, rest in his revelation to you. It's alive. It also means our weekly schedule. Uh, there's a new coffee shop in uh, Concord. We have a number of coffee shops. and It's called Teetotalers. It's all pink, very vibrant, put on from, by some very colorful figures. But they're closed on Sunday and Monday. But it, on their sign, I, was, I, walked, I walked the streets of Concord for trying to stay young until I die. Um, but on the sign, it doesn't say on Sunday closed. 
and on Monday close. It says on Sunday, rest, and on Monday, rest. They got it right. Like, I, I don't know if they're, they know that they're, they're actually honoring their creator, but like, we, we need to stop our, our output and rest in the completed work of God. I know some of you come from some highly motivated parents and culture and like get it done and don't take a day off. But I'm telling you, your heavenly father says, hey, you, it's actually built into the rhythm of who you are. Step back and and, and find joy and peace in the completed work of God on a weekly basis. And I think annually, so this is the schedule. This is just the application of God's rest. Daily in the word, weekly, stepping away. Typically, it's a good Sunday, is a good day just to get out of your normal rhythm and enjoy all that God is. Annually, get away into God's creation and enjoy what he has made. It's pretty, it's pretty miraculous. A friend of mine po- um, posts pictures from Concord of flowers and plants and things every day on Facebook. And like, they're stunning. Like they're high definition, like pictures of little flowers and bugs and things. And like, God made some pretty awesome stuff, and you, we are called to find our rest in his completed work. All right, that's God's rest. But this text talks about a message, gospel rest. In verse uh, 2 and 3, it says, For we have received the good news just as they did, but the message they heard did not benefit them since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we have believed, for we who have believed Enter the rest. If you're not familiar with Christianity, it's about a message. It's good news. It's called the gospel. And this message, as you as you read through this text, it's it's a message to be heard. Up our way, we've had some. We've had a, a severely wet summer. Just a lot of rain in our neighboring state. I'm from New Hampshire. The twin state up there is, as far as shape and size and all that, is Vermont. And because of the nature of so many Vermont towns that are in these valleys, there's been so much rain, there's been devastating floods. If you were in Vermont and you heard the meteorologists say, hey, for the next three weeks, for the foreseeable future, all we have is sunshine, no rain. That wouldn't just be news to hear, but it'd be news that affects you. Or for instance, if you lived out west where it's been so, or down south where it's been so hot, um, Arizona and those places like 112 degrees, like the like, that's close to hell to my, my, from my perspective. Like, like the, and it's been going on for weeks. I think it was, I forget which state it was. Maybe it was Texas. They had the longest run of days over 100 degrees. And if the meteorologist got on there with the news that, hey, for the foreseeable future, for the next three or four weeks, it's going to be unseasonably cool at 76 degrees and no humidity. That wouldn't just be news. That would be news that affects you. Well, this is the gospel. It's not just like, oh, God sent Christ to die for us and, 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 and pay for our sins and not only conquer our great enemy de- uh, sin, but conquer our great enemy death. And that's not just news. Like, that affects you. Like, you and I, we, we can be relieved of all guilt. We can be relieved of the judgment that a perfect, just God must render. We can be relieved of the fear of death because Christ has conquered. Like, it affects us. This message is to be heard. It has benefits. In the middle of the pandemic, I don't know about you and I don't know how you feel about this, but like suddenly a government check showed up in my mail. It was, it was a stimulus check. 
I know it's not free money because I my five kids would pay for the money I got. But like, like it was like, it was like, it was like a news with benefits. Like it changed. Like I could pay off something, or you know, like it was just a. It was, well, the the news of of the gospel has benefit, and it leads to this idea of rest. Uh, in Ephesians somewhere, it, it, there's a whole list of the benefits of the gospel. And if, if you start in Ephesians 1, it talks about, first of all, you are blessed with every blessing in the heavenly places. Like, you are, you are chosen. God didn't just love you. He likes you. He wants you on his team. You were adopted. You're not just on his team. You're a daughter. You're a son. You're redeemed. Like, all your debt, all of it, every single ounce of guilt is paid for by Jesus. You are enlightened. You know the story. You know where we came from. You know why we messed up. You know the solution. You know where we're going. Like you've been enlightened into the, like you know the story. You, you have been enriched. The Bible says all that is Christ is yours. In, in other words, I don't know if you realize this, but like I think it was last week, there was like a $1.5 billion uh, megabucks ticket sold in Florida or something like that. Dude, that's like five pennies on a sidewalk compared to what you have in Christ. That's actually why you can give so radically generously because all that is Christ is yours. Like these are yours and you're secure. Like the Bible says that God has given us his Holy Spirit. He can never let you go. Like this, 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 this allows us to rest. This is why the gospel, according to this text, is a, is a message of rest. We're no longer laboring for the Father's um, a, 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 approval. Christ is our approval. We're no longer worried about like needs. The Father says, I will meet your needs. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their seed begging bread. In this life, you may only have one jacket and a small apartment, but I am preparing a place for you, Jesus said. Like, we can rest because of the gospel. And it unites us. One of the privileges of my life, so I've been pastoring now 36 years. Um, and for the last five years, I've been working with Acts 29 part-time, now full-time. But part-time, I was, doing the, I was a rural strategist, and I got around to the, some of the most obscure, forgotten, remote villages around the globe. And, 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 and friends, we have brothers and sisters everywhere, and what unites us is this gospel in Jesus. We may do some things different. We may worship different. We may look a little different. But, like, it is what unites us. And allows us to, to be family, not just at Metro, but when you travel, you find sisters and brothers everywhere. That's what it says there, that we, those are united, those who heard it by faith. <laughs> In our church, our new pastor, uh, he, he's so good. He is so gifted. The only downside is from Pittsburgh, and the Steelers are his team. And, uh, you know, he's in New England, and we have this team called the Patriots, and so there's been a little rivalry behind the pulpit, and there's a little bit of a little, like, nudging, like, and those things, you know, it's fun to be, kind of have that sort of uh, rivalry with the Eagles and all this stuff, and I hear that, that you have a team here. Um, <laughs> but you know, when, in 1980, there was an the Olympics, there was this Miracle on Ice team, the U.S. hockey team, who beat the Russians in an un historically unexpected way. And it didn't matter whether you're a Steelers fan or an Eagles fan or a Patriots fan. At that day, you were a fan of the U.S. hockey team. 
Well, Jesus is our victor. The gospel is, it, it doesn't, you know, I come from a Baptist background. I think I'm in a Presbyterian crew here. I heard you baptize babies. That's okay, you know, whatever. What, however that works. That's okay, that's whatever. The, the, what unites us is Jesus. Am I right on that? It doesn't matter. I mean, like, what? Hope I didn't just, I, might, I don't know. I might not be speaking at Cherry Hill tonight. <laughs> this is a message to be believed. We, we don't just hear this message. We, like, give our lives to it. It's called belief is like I lean into it, and now I, I believe and I worship Jesus, and I, I, I give him my sins, and I follow his ways. And it also says today, this is, the text was read, it was actually quoting uh, from Psalms, but, and let me just say to those of you who are, who are, are not sure about Christianity, today would be a good day to just say, okay, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to talk to one of the pastors about, like, I'm, I, I've heard enough. I don't know all the answers, but I, I, I need this rest for my soul. I need to stop the struggle of trying to find rest through an, a relationship or an accomplishment or, or, or just through an experience. I need rest in my soul. Jesus said, come to him. He gives rest. Today could be that day. This is a message from God. This is his rest. Promise to the message of the gospel, which is a gospel of rest. So let me, how do I apply that then? Well, let me just, so the first, you know, God's rest, we urge you to kind of examine your schedule, but I would urge you to examine your thinking. Like examine, like, do I really rest in the gospel? Do I really rest in all that I have in Jesus? Can I work out of resting in Jesus? Can my obedience come, begin with resting in what he has done? I really urge you to challenge what, my dad, who's a pastor, in New Hampshire. I was born in a, into a pastor's home, but he used to say, everybody needs an, a checkup from the neck up. Like, where is your thought, are your thoughts divergent from this gospel of rest? Are you still trying to perform for the Father? Are you still trying to negotiate with God like, well, I'll do this good if I can keep up this bad habit? No, are you like all in resting in the promises of Jesus? This leads us to a third thought, glorious rest. In verse 8, it says, therefore, a Sabbath rest. The, the actual official term Sabbath shows up here. The, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. This is a pointer to a day when God will, that fourth package from Amazon Prime that God has ordered, will arrive, restoration, when everything is right. When the lion lays down with the lamb, when there's no more sweat on our brow for work, where there's no more struggle with sin and self and Satan, they are all gone. That we are alive in a resurrected body that is perfect, no more cancer, no more growing old. This day that God has promised that we will rest from the struggles, we will rest from the work now, all of this talk about rest is not to diminish this need to continue to serve. And actually, I think in heaven, we'll be alive to serve without any effort or, or, or um, there won't be any struggle to serve. But here, to serve means to sacrifice. See, right now, Jesus has decided for whatever reason to build his kingdom through us 
to fight his battle through us, to advance his cause through us. He is sharing with us his suffering so we can share with his glory. And he has prepared works for us to do. Ephesians chapter 2 says, God has pre, he has planned ahead works for you to do. Some of that is, some of you, that's to help start a, 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 a 930 service. Some of you, it's to help with college students and to sign up to, to be part of ministering to freshmen coming in. Some of it's to, to, to serve in the children's ministry. Some of it's is just serving your neighbor, the, the person down the hall in the apartment, or your family who thinks you're crazy because you're following Christ. God has called us to be servants, to give and to, to invest in others. And at times, that is hard work. But there's this verse, kind of want to... You're gonna, if you're taking notes, which you should, but if you, whatever. It may be, maybe, whatever. I'm, I'm sorry. I get a little paternal like a father. You should do this, but anyway. Um, Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. Revelation 14, 13. It says this. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. So they will rest from their labors since their works shall follow them. Right now, because of the curse, all work has, has a, a, a tinge of curse to it. Like you may be in your dream job, but there are people in your office that are hard to work with. There are deadlines that are hard to meet. There are sales that don't go well. There, 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 there are failures. We, we, we live in a world that is cursed, and so there's sweat to our labor there's sadness to our efforts. And, and, and the work of the kingdom is slow. People come to Jesus slow. Like fighting sin is often ridiculously slow. And yet it's still worth it. It still produces a harvest. The scripture says we will enter a rest, this glorious rest, this rest where there will be no more labor, and it says our works will follow us. In other words, everything that has value, even the things we didn't see, they will follow us. And so this glorious rest means now we evaluate. I think if you're going to evaluate from God's rest your schedule, from the, the gospel rest your thinking, now you, you evaluate your serving. Like, are you seeing your life as a servant to others? Like Jesus, who did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. A text I like to talk about when I, I uh, last, last Sunday I was in Mexico preaching and ministering to some guys who most, almost all the pastors there are bivocationally, work full time and they're pastors. Many of them work out in small villages. Nobody knows them. And I'd love to take them to Matthew chapter 25, where God... Um, where Jesus tells a story of the last judgment and the sheep and the goats. The first half of the sheep is he brings the sheep and he says, hey, blessed are you, you're going to be rewarded because when I was in prison, you visited me. When I was hungry, you, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was thirsty, you, you, you gave me to drink. And they all said, when did we do that, Jesus? Like their works were so obscure to even them, they didn't know that these kind acts they were doing as followers of Jesus, God was keeping an account. He said, when you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. Another place it says, if you offer a cold glass of water to a child in my name, there's reward in heaven for that. 
I love to remind these pastors of serve in, in, in remote and forgotten places that the most obscure acts done in the name of Jesus in heaven get first attention and first honor. Everything will be honored. But your service, whether you're serving in the nursery or, or you're caring for widows and orphans, and like in our church we have a dozen or so of these special needs people that we, we care for every week and feed. Every other week we have a meal for them and just a delight to be a family to them because most of them are, are forgotten by their family as they're warehoused in, in, um, in government housing or, or, or uh, group homes. That as we serve the, the least and, and the most forgotten, as you do things that nobody else sees and you may not even consider it to be value, in heaven, your service has first attention and first honor. So what works of yours will follow you into eternity? To obey Jesus begins by resting in Jesus. Obedience is about doing his will. He has a will for your life. He taught us to pray, your will be done. As we live out this idea of resting in, in who God is and what he has finished... He's, he's already done it. We're just waiting for that last package to show up, restoration. Creation is glorious. The word is here. Redemption has been fulfilled. As we rest in the finished work of God, which he says he's done, as we rest in that and, and build that into our schedule, weekly rhythms, daily rhythms, annual rhythms, as we renew our minds by the gospel and rest in the finished work of Jesus, as we bring our, our service as acts of, of love to God and to others, realizing someday we will rest from all the hard labors. As we do that, we will, we will continually be people who walk in the ways of Jesus at rest. It is good to rest in Jesus because life is weary, it is hard, Tears will fall, but he is the God of all comfort. So let me urge you as we sort of rest in who Jesus is to hear his call. Trust in the good works of the Father. Rehearse the good words of the gospel and do the good works of the kingdom because we are people who have promised by God to find rest in him. Let me pray.